Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up? Thank you for checking out Social Jello with Angelo. On this episode, I interview Tom Bowers, who is not a Kajukembo practitioner. He made that very clear, but it is part of the Kajukembo series. If you're watching this and you're wondering what Kajukembo is, look up Kajukembo, Google it. It's a Hawaiian martial art. Well, it's a martial art from Hawaii, to be very specific. If this is your first podcast, thank you for listening. Hit subscribe on YouTube, Social Jello with Angelo. Um, Tom has a lot of great stories. I will let him explain uh, the background that he has, but he is a black belt in the style that he does practice of martial arts, and he's coming out of Virginia. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? I'm here with Tom Bowers, and a little bit of background on how I met Tom. I have not, as, as many of my guests, I have not met Tom in person, but I did come across some of Tom's material online and I liked what I saw. Uh, the first post I saw of yours on Facebook was talking about this transition that you were going through between fighting and now kind of stepping away from fighting and go and passing on the torch, if you will, to the younger generation. And I thought that was really cool. And that's what kind of got to my attention. I'm, I'm in that same boat. I'm about, I'm 39 this month. And, um, and I'm facing that decision. I'm being forced to be forced. I'm being forced to make the decision because of the whole COVID thing that mm -hmm. I possibly most likely won't be able to step into the ring anymore. And even just looking at my age, things weren't going that great beforehand either. Cause I'm not as spry as I used to be. <laughs> nobody's going to be, nobody's going to beat uh, father town. So <laughs> <laughs> but yeah tom thank you very much for being on the show um me. i always ask everyone so i guess there's a lot of questions i have for you one of the first questions i had was what style of martial arts did you start in or what i guess we'll start we'll work backwards we'll start forwards what do you do now what kind of martial arts style do you do right now i'm doing a uh, which i have been for probably the last 30-ish years or so. I'm doing I'm doing Kempo. Um, now the Kempo is Okinawan based. It's not Hawaiian based what I do. Of course there are a lot of similarities and, and actually I see with everything I see a whole lot more similarities than I do differences pretty much across the board martial arts wide but it is a an Okinawan based system and it's the Kata based system. Rarely do I usually just when I refer to it as Kempo, that is correct. If When I refer to it as Karate or Karate Jutsu, that's also correct. Uh, and that's a term I, I normally use because a lot of times in the martial arts community, when, when somebody asks and you say Kempo, they already have a preconceived notion. Oh, well, you're Ed Parker. No, I'm not. I have no no lineage connection with Ed Parker. And, and there's a, some other groups that are even actually related to my system with very close, uh, very, very close connections. 
but because there are some differences between us two for political reasons, organizational reasons, I rarely use the term Kempo. I'll just pretty much say it's functional karate and that seems to work. And so prior, if you don't mind me asking what, okay, and I got, I'm going to also say, I, I always do disclaimers. Um, I'm not, I personally am not one of those people that makes a big deal about lineages. Personally, I understand that some people love lineages and they mm-hmm. religiously, mm-hmm. cultishly follow lineages. And I mean, yeah. hey, if that's your thing, that's great. Hey, there's there's that guy named the Karate Nerd on on Facebook right now, and he loves to go into the history and talk about lineages. Uh, that's great for you. I'm not one of those guys. Um, but for you, what I guess what lineage or what's what's a name that's that's big in in your circle or like with what in the the kata that I do are of the Oyata and the Nakamura lineage. And um, I also do some other things in addition to that. But but as far as the kata and as far as our core curriculum, it's going to be Oyata, Seiyu Oyata. And then above him, it's going to be um, Shigeru Nakamura. Now, I don't have connection at this time to the Nakamura, the 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 Nakamura people. So that's, you know, out of respect for them is why I, I kind of typically don't, don't uh, um, use that term so much, just out of respect for them because there are differences. And I know that like most people who, who do have a big respect for lineage, um, that's an issue because I also teach, my, my, my dad is a Gojiru instructor. And that was our first system way back in the late 70s and very early 80s. And he has held on to that. And so obviously some of that, uh, some of that information and education is going to stick with me. I'm not going to, I'm going to, everything that I've done, like I teach boxing training and with beginners, I teach boxing first. And, uh, you know, so I've added information instead of change and say, okay, well, we're not training boxing, we're doing this, or we're not training anything that came from the Goju system because we're doing this. I have adapted it to fit to fit the way that I move. And when I teach it, then we further adapt it to fit the way that uh, my students, you know, based on their physical limitations or strengths or weaknesses, we adapt it based to, to make it work for them. So right. I think that's the key is, is just um, whatever you do, it needs to be, it needs to be functional for you, not just for me. If I have a, a student that is, can't do what I can do, uh, okay, you know, but, but we can still use the same concepts and he can still be very adept at self-defense uh, using those same concepts, even though we have very different body types or, or whatever the case may be. And just to uh, go on a little side quest here, uh, for my listeners right now, for the people on YouTube, you can see right here, this is Goju Ryu from the Wikipedia page. Uh, it's a hard, soft style of Okinawan karate. For the people that follow this that are Kajukembo guys, uh, yeah, a lot of our people that came in, uh, the story of Kajukembo, the, 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 three, the, the three or five masters, depending on who you ask, uh, that got together in Hawaii, one of them does go back to the Okinawan style of Karate, which is, I don't know if it's Goju Ryu and any karate nerd right now is probably flipping out, 
throwing popcorn at their screen. But <laughs> I will say that um, in your case, the Goju Ryu is, is an Okinawan style of karate. And, um, and they go into an explanation on that. For you listeners that are listening to this and not watching this as a podcast, I do encourage you to subscribe to the YouTube channel. But if not, Google Goju Ryu, you can learn a little more about that style. So you said you start off with boxing, which is really yes. interesting because a lot of our Kaju Kembo schools, the bow for boxing, or as I like to say, boxing, kickboxing, that's where we start. Well, shouldn't say we. I don't want to make generalized statements. A lot of us will start with the kickboxing and self-defense first before we start going into the traditional um, Eastern martial arts. We will start with the Western martial arts for the effectiveness. Like you said, uh, priority one, get them ready to fight, get them ready to defend themselves, not just fight. Cause there's, there's fighting in the ring and then there's defending yourself, which are two different things. You know, yes. typically defending yourself on the street won't last you don't get five rounds, five minutes, and a referee <laughs> and a cut man or anything else. You, know, you, you, you have only a few seconds to handle yourself. Yeah. So looking at what everything you just told me, and you start off with boxing, let's go now into your journey. How did you mentioned a little bit right now that your dad did Goju Ryu karate, which is that Okinawa yeah. style. So I'm assuming he was an influence on your a uh, little bit on your path but how did it all get started how did when did you start training i started training initially and i think i was in kindergarten or first grade and that was not really a conscious decision that i made because at that time uh, that would have been the mid to late 70s and at that time, in this area anyway, kids didn't, didn't train like that. Um, so it wasn't really a conscious decision. It was more like, well, that's where dad was. And it was a childcare issue, you know. And the way he got started was um, he had boxed. And, and he was also a, a very experienced weightlifter. So, and, and, um, so he was working on a heavy bag and lifting weights. Well, a, a man came moved here. I'm not sure what the situation was that he moved here. He was a, he was an American man, but he moved here back from Japan. Oh, wow. While that man was in Japan, he trained in the dojos of uh, Gogen Yamaguchi of Gojiru. And he also trained at the dojo of Masoyama of Kyokushinkai. And where was this again? Where, where, because I, I don't think I mentioned it. I haven't mentioned yet where you where where were you then? Where was I living? Yeah. Or I was Virginia. United Virginia. States. And you're yes. Are you still in Virginia? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. All right. Just just yes. Okay. Keeping <laughs> trying to keep the timeline straight here. All right. So cool. So for anybody listening, I'll, I'll probably put this. I'll, I'll I'm not I'm gonna work a little bit backwards. During your introduction, I'm gonna say you're from Virginia so that they already kind of heard it once. But either way, I'm hearing it first now. So continue. Sorry. So Virginia and the guy and this guy came. Was he Japanese? Yeah. No, no, he was uh, he was Caucasian, but he had he had lived in Japan, and I don't know if he was there on business or what the situation was, but he came back here to Virginia and had a uh, Japanese wife, Japanese baby, and he had trained Kyokushinkai in Masuyama's dojo and trained uh, Gojuru at uh, Yogi Yamaguchi's dojo. 
And during that time, he had stopped Kyokushinkai training because basically the way it was, was uh, told to me, it was difficult to train in that environment because every single class, they had to stop class to deal with a broken bone or clean up blood or, you know, whatever the case may be. It's like, you, you've got to be kidding. This is borderline sadistic. So he made a decision to just stay with the Guzheru. And when he came back, uh, he was looking for a sparring partner and somebody to work out with because there just wasn't anybody here. So he found dad and he said, if you, uh, you help me learn how to lift weights properly. And if you be my sparring partner, because dad had been a boxer, you learn, you help me, uh, I'll, you help me to spar, be my sparring partner and I'll teach you. And that's where dad's journey got started. And I was young. So that's where my journey got started too. more of a, we're going to go train now. So you can't stay by yourself. Come on. And, you know, and, and then many years later, several years later, uh, 81 or 82, we, dad was teaching at the time and he was teaching at a, at a school, at a university here. Now that, that was a, uh, I don't know, it was a sport oriented school, but it was extremely physical. I mean, the fighting was real. And even though it was a sport oriented school, it wasn't, it wasn't tag, so to speak. It was, the points were points, you know, and um, we stayed there for a few years and then dad left and went to a, a, a different, um, a different dojo. And of course I went with him and I was probably in middle school at the time. And that dojo was teaching, uh, teaching Kempo. And so instead of replacing information, we added information. And, and just sort of made it flow because, you know, so many similarities with everything. It's not that, you know, I'm going to defend myself now and I'm going to use my Gojiru or I'm going to defend myself now, but I'm going to use, <laughs> you know, I'm going to defend myself now. I'm putting knees, elbows and weapons on target hard, fast, you know, and it's all in the heat of battle. Everything's going to look the same anyway. And do you, do you remember what, type of Kempo it was or like what it was that, Okinawan Kempo it was Okinawan Kempo okay yes. so it was all right cool, yes. cool and that all right and that that goes back to the that goes back and to the not not come that would have been oh, yeah. that would have been um Okinawan Kempo would have been founded by Nakamura oh, okay okay so that was Naka Nakamura Kempo all right Okinawan Kempo Karate o do oki kenkai. Is that does, it, does any of this sound familiar? Yes. Okay. All right. Good. Good. No, I, so, I, I never was in the Odo lineage. Odo um, was one of Nakamura's students that had a different lineage. Oh, he yeah. had several students that sort of all had their own. Uh, I don't know if you say interpretation. So I was never in the Odo lineage. I have some friends that are, and I have a lot of respect for them, and they they're the real deal. But I was never, you know, I just want to make that clear that I was never in the Odo lineage because I know some of them are pretty protective of that. Oh, and you said his name was, his name was, that guy was Gary Nakamura? or Oh, no, Shigeru. 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 Shigeru Nakamura. And then that would be, well, I see karate coming up. 
I see a Shigeru Nakamura that died in 1969. That's him. That's him. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's take the let's take the YouTubers on a on a side quest here, real quick, <laughs> real quick side quest, and take a look at the Wikipedia page of um, of Nakamura Shigeru. Uh, the page I'm looking at here, I Googled it and it sent me to a PDF file, interestingly enough. And it goes into a nice explanation about Nakamura Shigeru. So if you are one of those karate nerds and you love lineages, uh, Google, I Googled Shigeru, S-H-I-G-E-R-U, Nakamura. You can learn a little bit more about that style of um, Okinawan Kempo karate, if, if that makes any sense. All right. Um, so in your journey, now you're doing Kempo. What were some of the differences that you, so you were, you were in, you were, you're now moving from the Goju Ryu, Okinawan karate to the Kempo. Did you notice any differences? Did it look the same to you? I mean, I know you were a teenager, but. I, I did. And I was young then, so I didn't recognize them, but, but looking back now, I see it and I see and I know, of course, people will get mad because every dojo has their own. Well, that's not the way we do it. Or every instructor <laughs> has their own way. Well, that's not. So Tell I hate making it. blanket statements. You know, I don't want to make a blanket statement and have like, you know, everybody mad because everybody said something that doesn't fit them. But in my personal experience, that's all I can speak from. In my personal experience, the more. The more Japanese. A, a system is there there seem to be at least in my experience again I my disclaimer um, more of the attitude of a one shot one kill you know I'm gonna very focused boom you know one shot one kill linear strike whatever now once you go back several decades in time to the Okinawan, the, the older systems prior to its migration to Japan, there doesn't seem to be to be that one shot, one kill mentality. There was a, um, you know, it's it's almost I call we call it the overkill principle with my students, where we continue to go. I mean, if we, you know, I'm gonna strike and then we're going to leave this hand here and then pull the head down and strike and then control here and strike and you know it might be four or five ten simultaneous strikes now we don't memorize those per se like old oh, technique number whatever is it eight or ten strike sequence it's just you know you strike and you adapt to whatever the next situation is and then you continue to do to go. So, I mean, you continue until the threat is no longer there with a constant high volume striking. And I didn't see that so much with the more Japanese. It seemed to be a single kick or a single punch with very focused power. And that was supposed to incapacitate. Obviously that would be a perfect scenario. Yes, that would be the case, you know, save my knuckles, but uh, you know, it's still good to train you know, the way I train is a higher volume striking. And I did see that with the Kempo systems. Well, it's really interesting to hear. And that, that is why, even though um, you do come from a different background, I'm including this in the Kaju Kempo series. And I will put a disclaimer to everyone before we start that, you know, that you're not a Kaju Kempo practitioner. But 
the reason I'm putting it out there is just for the Kajukenbo guys that do follow my channel and that are that do follow the posts I put on the on the associations that I post on Facebook and stuff. A lot of the things you just mentioned are just word for word things that we say in Kajukenbo. Um, mm. Some of them come. Some of us we talk about the one strike one kill, but at the same time. Uh, when we when we've demonstrated self-defense at seminars and at tournaments, uh, a lot of the judges would would know us as the guys that that overkill, <laughs> the, the the guys that that overdo it, as they said, it was an overkill. You know, you know, how many times did you kill that guy? Like you threw him on the ground and then you stomped on his head, and then you need him in the head, and then you kicked him yeah. one more time, and then you punched him three more times, and then you put him in an armbar. Well, like what? That's, <laughs> that's the way to train. That's that's the way that I've had my students train. And, and the reason that I, that I do that is because if my students want to do tournaments, we will. If my students want to fight in the ring, they can. And I have, and I enjoyed it. But 90%, if not more, of what we do is street applicable. And I want it to continue to be street applicable. And, you know, you can't, you can't, you're going to fight the way you train. If you're a football player, you're going to play football the way you practiced all week, you know, and that's just the way that it is. And if you're a fighter or you're, you're or not a fighter, but you are, you're going to be put in a position to defend yourself, you're going to do that. You're going to rely on your muscle memory and you're going to do what you have drilled over and over and over again. And if you've drilled to hit a guy once and the assumption is he's going to stop, but he doesn't, well, you're in foreign territory. But if you drill to hit, then hit, then grab and knee, and then the head drops from the knee to the groin, and then I'm gonna elbow, and then I'm gonna shoot to again. And if that's the way that you've drilled and you instinctively are throwing five, 10, 20 shots, if only two or three get in and are effective, you still have a pretty high probability of walking away from that. Um, and that's, now obviously with, with training needs to come a certain level of maturity and I, once the threat is over, of course, I tell my students the threat is over and we don't continue beyond beyond taking care of the threat. But you want to you want to train for the highest end of the violent spectrum, because if you always train for the lowest end of the violent spectrum and you run into a high violence, violent situation, you're not prepared. But if you train for the extreme violent situation and you need to de-escalate it down a little bit, then you can do that. But you can't, you can't go up if you never train up. But you can always, if you train up, you can always bring it back down. And I think that's, you know, because ultimately I'm not training for trophies anymore. Ultimately I'm training so that I can defend myself or my wife or my kids or my grandchild. That, that's getting them home safely is the trophy. Okay. So I, I just realized I muted my, my I muted my mic. <laughs> so you made some really good points there about how um, the whole thing of scaling down, like the idea of fighting an invincible opponent. Because like sometimes what I'll do is like during sparring, I was asking myself the other day, like I I, I typically go very light, especially as an instructor. I don't want to hurt my students. I go really light, and then I was thinking about the dis the benefits and the disbenefits to this well one of the disbenefits is of course i'm not going to be hitting as hard 
But one of the benefits to it was because I'm going light and I'm pushing myself round after round to continue to control the situation, I started mm-hmm. realizing that I'm learning how to control a very violent situation because my student's not going to hold back on me. <laughs> so like, so it's, 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 it's changing my training to really go up against that invincible opponent. That guy that when I do hit him, it didn't stop him. When I, mm-hmm. when I did try to submit them, they didn't tap and I had to figure something else out after that. So I think it is really a really good point to that argument against the overkill or the idea. And I'm not saying that the one strike, one kill thing doesn't work. I'm not very similar to what you mentioned. And um, I don't make generalized statements. Uh, Have you ever made a YouTube video yet of you doing a technique? Have you done this? On YouTube? No, sir. Okay. Well, if you do, just get ready. (laughs) (laughs) Just get ready. Uh, Maybe you've already encountered this on Facebook. But it's, it's, only, it's only worse on YouTube. Because <laughs> so, like you said, everybody has the one way that their yeah. school does it. And I'll even throw out style here, okay? School. Mm-hmm. I'm in Kaju Kimbo. There's literally other Kaju Kimbo. I have someone right now in Kaju Kimbo who hates me. <laughs> He's made it very clear that he hates me because of the stuff I've said. But again, whenever I show something, I'm always very clear about this is how I do it. There might mm-hmm. be a different way. And there is those people that are like the karate nerds. No, there is only that one way. And that's, mm-hmm. I, I respect it. I, I uh, agree to disagree in that situation. <laughs> so going back to your, to your story here, you enter Kempo as a teenager. You start doing yeah. Kempo. Um, what happens next? Um just just you know training and and uh you know you get to the point where you're training and it's all just very mechanical and very robotic just because well i'm going to class now so it's it's very mechanical robotic and then at some point something changes and it clicks you're like wait a minute I like this. This is not just a mandatory, hey, it's Monday night or Wednesday night. I have to go to class now because that's what we do. And then it clicks that you enjoy it. And then the sort of like the reasons and the concepts really seem to, to just appear. And what, what maybe you have been robotically, mechanically walking through suddenly takes on a little bit of a life and and it changes everything and then once that happened and i started teaching and uh on very small scale just started teaching still teach on an extremely small scale and uh that's it my goal right now is just to continue to get better i'm three months shy of being 50 years old and i i really can see myself improving for a long time because you know, there's so much other besides what uh, what we might have viewed it at as younger people. Well, I'm fast, I'm strong, I'm in good shape, so I can be good. You know, you, you sort of reprioritize and re rethink um, some things and take another look at some things. And I think that's what I did. And that, that's reflected now with my teaching. Um, and again, Another disclaimer, I don't want to step on toes. I seem to do that a lot. I'm usually at <laughs> odds in the martial arts community. Uh, either well, you, you've, heard, you've heard the joke, right? 
So how many mar- how many martial artists does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> I don't know. Three. One to actually change the light bulb. One to tell you that you did it wrong. And the other one to tell you how they would have done it better. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, that would be a joke if it wasn't a lot of truth in it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like I was saying that um, I don't teach memorized technique anymore. I used to, and I know a lot of people do, and it's fine and it does work. And that's the way that I learned. So it does work. But memorized technique, what I mean is if my opponent does this, then I do this. You know, be, oh, if my opponent has a same side wrist grab, I have to respond this way. If it's crossbody wrist grab, I respond this way. If he chokes me, I've got 10 defenses against a choke. And they're all memorized. The way that I teach now, I've kind of stepped past the memorization of techniques with my students. And we'll look at the big picture, try to look at the concepts. Well, why does this work? What are we doing actually physically to break that arm or to break that leg? Or what what are we doing target wise? And then once, once somebody grasped the concept of a movement and the concept of, of the human body, what, what they have the potential to do and how weak the human body actually is, then knowing 10 or 15 concepts is basically the equivalent of knowing hundreds of individual memorized techniques because a lot of times I'll let my students do a free flow drill and it won't be choreography. It'll be like, hey, you grab him and try to put him on the ground and you defend. They'll do that and it'll look great. And I mean, what'd you do? I don't know what I did. Did I teach you that? I don't know. Well, it worked great, you know? And without realizing it, they're applying concepts that they've learned, even if they've never seen it in that same scenario, because you don't have to see it in that same scenario. Once you understand, if I put pressure here and put pressure here, this joint's gonna snap, you know? So they don't need to necessarily see the choreography of the technique to be able to perform the technique if they understand the heart of it. That, that that kind of make that clear or? that makes that, that makes a lot of sense and then okay, my question to you is how how long so you, how long would you say you've been well you'll tell me how long have you been doing martial arts uh this year sometime will be 43 years i think all right and in the 43 years that you've been doing martial arts how many techniques do you think you've learned not learned not memorized but just been been shown and practiced oh lord <laughs> Oh, if you, if you, hundreds at least, but if you count the, the what ifs and the, the add-ons and the, well, you could do this or, you know, those other extras, thousands, I would say. And then, and then when you, when you step into spar, do, do you, do you meticulously think of that? No, of course not. Yeah. So like, (laughs) what you're talking about, and you know, it's funny, I got, I got criticized recently um, in another podcast that he said, I've I've been looking for universal truths in martial arts and (laughs) John Hackleman's like, good luck with that. (laughs) But one thing I have, I keep seeing uh, something that we talk about, I have a background in social science 
and in psychology. And I've always been a really big fan of looking at statistics and looking at specifically in social science, they like to look at different fields and look for different similarities. So like when they're looking at an analysis of, of what an individual does, they like to look at it, how a society does it. And then how does that society do it? And how does that, how does that culture do it? And how, is there anything that we can out of the data pull out that seems to be a similarity? And what you just mentioned right now about concepts and principles over techniques, this is not being just said by you. This is being said by Stefan Kesting um, in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. This is being said this is being said by a whole slew of MMA coaches right now. The idea of if we keep going after techniques, 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 our sport continues to evolve because of MMA. Mm-hmm. And if we get stuck on the techniques and we're like, hey, what about this technique? Not only are we going to find out that a lot of times this quote unquote new technique isn't really new. It can be found somewhere else a long time ago. I can guarantee it has. <laughs> I mean, people have been trying to kill each other for <laughs> since yeah. we came about. So yeah, there, there's most likely nothing new, but it's just being recorded now thanks to technology. So like we look at that, the idea of principles, right? And basic principles, balance, posture, base. If you can walk away with anything, I always tell that to my students. If you can walk with balance, posture, base, it's always going to come back to those three things when you're doing something. Um, if you don't have balance, it's not gonna come out good. If you don't have good posture, you're gonna be in a lot of trouble. If you don't have a good base and whatever it is that you're doing, you're gonna be in a lot of trouble. And, and you can kind of put this stuff together. So going back into your story, you were, you started teaching. How old are you when you started teaching? I probably started teaching on my own at about 25. About 25. I think. So at that point, you were already doing martial arts for well over 20 years. Because if you started as Probably close to 20 years anyway, 18, 17. And then, do you, I, not that I care, I always say this, do you have a black belt? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, not, not, not that I care. Because I, I know people that don't have black belts in, in what they do, and they still teach. Um that's that's up to whatever whoever's listening. Some people get really f- flipped out on that. But anyway, so what? Probably should ask this first. What styles do you have a black belt in? Do you have are you one of those guys with several black belts or only one black belt? No, I just I have uh, the my last promotion was from my dad's. Uh, well, an organization that my dad is involved in. And uh, I, have, I have a single black belt. I don't have multiple certificates. I have a single black belt and it's a seventh Dan. All right, all right cool, cool. And that's in? That would be Kempo. Kempo, okay, all right, cool. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kind of so people, whoever, the karate nerds can listen to that and whatever, Google whatever they need to for that. <laughs> so you started- You were talking about uh, balance and, and base and those foundational things. And that kind of goes back to earlier what we were talking about when I start teaching new students, when I typically teach boxing first, there's a couple of reasons for that. You know, with, with the balance and, and the structure of your punch and your body mechanics in particular, when I'm teaching boxing, the, the body mechanics are very apparent. You know, I can say we're getting power because we're rotating our hips, we're snapping our punches. 
your your jab is doing this we're driving into the jab and they can understand that because they can see that now those lessons are all the same as we're going to see in every form of karate uh, Kimpo, every, every situation I've even seen, the mechanics are the same, but sometimes in a kata-based system, even though they're the same, they're not as apparent. You don't see necessarily or understand, why are my hips snapping like this? Why am I doing this? This doesn't make sense. Why am I stepping in this stance to this stance? But if, if they have at least some of a boxing background by the time we get to that curriculum, then it's a little bit easier to explain, okay, do you remember when I was teaching you to throw your rear punch boxing? Do you remember the hip movement? Now, and then I can use the analogy of that to what they're doing in their more traditional martial arts, and they'll have an understanding instead of teaching them their more traditional martial arts and then trying to explain something that might be a little bit, uh, a little bit more abstract. And so you go over these concepts, you start with boxing, which is something, like I said earlier, a lot of Kaiju Kimbo guys do the same thing. You start getting into, you start getting into the karate curriculum. What would you say and I'm going to come back to your history, but just to kind of go off of what you just said, what would you say is what you would like to see out of your black belts? What, 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 what do you want to see out of your black belts? What would you say is for your, for your system um, and what you do, what would you, what, what are, what are some things that you're looking for in, in your black belts? Mm, well, on, on one level, on one level, what I expect of them, they have to have um, definitely a, a level of maturity. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily, that's not always age dependent, but they need to have a level of maturity because we are teaching real for the street martial arts. And you, you have to, you have to have a level of maturity to be able to to have, you know, th th those two should go hand in hand. But, and they need to also have an ability to teach, not that I ever use them to teach really, but being able to teach a concept to somebody is one of the best indicators that you know that material and not just mimic me. Anybody can mimic what I do, but to be able to intelligently convey that to somebody else shows that you know the material. So on that level, that's what I look for. But on a different level, just as important, I, um, I, I want them to be very adept at self-defense. And, uh, you know, I, I don't promote violence with my students. Actually, I, I obviously, like every martial arts instructor that is not a nutcase, I, I you know, I don't condone it. But... I want them to be very comfortable with it. And I don't want them to ever see a first time scenario in the street. I want all of their, I don't want them to run into a situation that they don't have a comfort level with because they haven't seen it in the dojo. Whether that be pushing, shoving, 
you know, bad language, screaming, terrible lighting, whatever situation is, I don't want them to say, oh gosh, we never did this in a dojo, but I want them to, you know, they have. And so most importantly, my, my, my students, not just black belt students, but my students need to be very comfortable with the possibility of violence. And you made a really good point again about when it comes to ha having them be able to teach, not so much so that they can be, you know, run a school or anything, but I, I, you know, I believe Albert Einstein said, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it yourself. And he was talking about, you know, physics, which is a lot more complicated. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's like, but yeah, it's definitely something that applies to the martial arts as well. So I'm going to go back into your story, Tom. Um, you started teaching. When did you start fighting and what types of venues did you fight in? I know you mentioned that your father was a boxer. Was your father a professional boxer or was no, he? No, no, no. He, he boxed some growing up and then he was in the Navy. Okay. And uh, he was stationed in uh, Puerto Rico and then stationed in uh -huh. Miami. And then uh, he started, he boxed there. In Puerto Rico? Uh, well, it was in the Navy, so yeah, I assume it would have been Puerto Rico. Uh, I'm, Puerto was, uh, I'm Puerto Rican, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, we were really stationed cool. at, uh, in San Juan, at the Navy, oh, naval base in San Juan. Well, that's great. My, um, my grandfather was a Marine, so he was at the, he was, I believe, is there two bases? It's all the same base, right? The Marines and the Navy, do they share the same base there? I can't remember. I know for my dad's job, they shared the same base. Okay, they do. Okay, good, good. So I did. I've been to that base. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, because my, um, my, like I said, my grandpa was a, was a Marine, and when I'd go visit him, he would take me on base, and, and I'd salute, and he, 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 he really, 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 really wanted me to join the military. <laughs> I, I didn't, you know, sorry to my grandpa, but yeah, yeah I spent some time on that base. <laughs> That's cool. So your father did some boxing. Was he boxing? Um, he was boxing. Was he boxing for the Navy or just practicing with the guys that are part of the team? Um, I think he was he was boxing in like competitions that they had base competitions. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I believe. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess this up. Um, I believe John Hackleman has a very similar background where he was boxing in the perhaps the army. Um, to not mess this up, he, he was boxing. Chuck Liddell's coach was boxing for a section of the military. I believe, yeah. and if I'm wrong, I'm sorry to John and to anybody listening. But I believe that's the same kind of background. Yeah, he was boxing in the military. So, so yeah, that, I mean, that's that's tough, man. Those guys are tough. Those are those are tough people to be fighting in a ring. Well, it builds a good foundation. It builds a foundation of training physically, but also builds a foundation of punching and, and probably as important as that, uh, getting punched, you know? Get, getting punched is uh, and being able to deal with it is uh, a skill too you know you can know a lot but if you can't get hit you have a bad day and, and going back to what we talked about natural what, what humans naturally there's there's two things that humans naturally even if they've never done any martial arts there's two things they're naturally going to do they're going to punch and they're going to grapple that's just what they're going to do if you watch any street fight between if you watch two kids on a playground that don't know anything about fighting, they start a little schoolyard brawl. Oh, they're going to start punching. When the punching gets really close, they're going to clinch. They're going to roll over. They're going to be on the ground. So that's, that's just kind of what happens. Punching starts. Starts with the fists. So you um, 
where did you get into so your father came from a boxing background you start teaching when did you start fighting when did you start um, i was doing point point tournaments early and then um you know i don't know many 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 point tournaments and then i did some uh the continuous contact okay. um i don't know how to explain that if you haven't seen it it's basically i guess it depends on what organization or or, or promoter rather but i did a continuous contact where it's three rounds of two minutes and they just you wear 12 ounce gloves and they let you go and then yeah. they grade it it's graded on a 10 point must system you know somebody's got to get 10 somebody gets nine or eight and then there's a winner and a loser yeah. uh so they call it continuous was contact but it's it's you know you're going to put them out i mean you're trying to put them out yeah and, and, and for the for those of you that don't know it's what some people call american kickboxing now um essentially the difference between i've been asked this what's the difference and i might be wrong again because <laughs> this goes on youtube and every single every single martial arts geek they tear me up in the comments um, <laughs> From where I came from, from my experiences, uh, the continuous sparring division, which was my favorite division to compete in in the U.S. when I was there, stateside, was the rules were, um, yeah, two to three minute rounds, depending on the venue. They allowed punching and kicking. Depending on the venue, they would say, you're not allowed to knock the guy out, but it would happen. And they'd give you a 10 count and they'd stand you back up. And they'd be like, hey, watch the contact. And they'd, I almost feel it was more dangerous because like if they did allow a knockout, those times that I got knocked out and I had to get back up and keep fighting or the times that I knocked out my opponent and they got him back up and they made him keep fighting without a 10 count. They just let him, hey, and then I get a warning, but <laughs> we keep fighting. I was thinking to myself, wow, there was a lot more head trauma going on there if we would have just stopped the fight and be like, he won. End of story. Go yeah. let that other guy recover, right? <laughs> so either way, you know they're they're essentially kickboxing um usually the ones that you fought in did they allow leg kicks um some did and some didn't the last one i did they did they did allow it yeah and and the thing was was kind of it's fine with me because i trained that but it was a surprise it was almost like the the referees and ring judges decide that when we got there you know, they're like, oh, we'll go allow leg kicks. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, great. <laughs> Glad. It's never fun if you didn't prepare for it. Like, yeah, because, yeah, the same thing. It was like a 50-50 on whether they allowed leg kicks. And that yeah. was a big deal. Like, the big deal wasn't so much that I wasn't ready for a leg kick. The problem was if I trained for leg kicks and then I get there and there's no leg kicks and I've been sparring jab straight low kick, jab straight low kick, well, then he immediately at the beginning of the round i'm gonna go jab straight low kick boom hey whoa whoa we don't allow that warning and it's like oh man so yeah, yeah. or the opposite is true right you thought there was gonna be no leg kicks so you're you're focusing more on body blows and you haven't been practicing leg checks and then the guy comes in and bow just lands that low leg kick and you're like oh no three more rounds of this <laughs> so like, yeah good times yep. good times <laughs> so what i do want to say <laughs> what I do want to say in Japan, in Japan, Japanese kickboxing, Muay Thai kickboxing, they always allow leg kicks. This is thrown out yeah. the window. There is no competition without leg kicks. Even their karate, their karate fighting, their, their they call it uh, they call it open glove karate, and mm -hmm. it's essentially kickboxing with leg kicks. They just don't allow elbows to the head 
but they do sometimes their 50 50 is elbows to the body knees to the body sometimes and even k1 um will have a subset of rules sometimes they'll have the amateur k1 tournaments out here and at the amateur k1 tournaments they'll say you're allowed to clinch and you're allowed one knee to the body and then you okay. have to let go I, I lost my first two three almost yeah three fights i lost my three my first three fights because i kept forgetting that rule and i would clinch and just continue to knee and then they'd break me up and then the judges hated me and there was no way i was going to win by decision but yeah, just to kind of give people an idea of how all these rules come into play. So in America, continuous sparring, if you don't know what it is, it's essentially kickboxing with sometimes leg kicks, sometimes no leg kicks. Usually they don't allow clinching, right? They usually break you all up. Yeah, they're no clinching. Yeah, yeah. normally uh, every time I end up in a clinch, they break us up and tell us to stop. Um, and they start, start us up again. So that's one thing that is pretty prevalent in American quote-unquote kickboxing because i've seen american kickboxing too and they'll have similar rules but then in the continuous sparring did they allow the back fist yes see in american kickboxing they don't and sometimes they'll allow a spinning back fist most of the time they won't sometimes they do sometimes they don't um but i don't i do know that in continuous a lot of the continuous sparring matches they would allow a back fist but in kickboxing and even in japan they're okay with, I don't know, in some of the amateur venues, I never understood this. They're okay with a back, a spinning back fist, but they're not okay with a regular back fist, which to me makes no, no. sense. <laughs> no. I mean, a back fist is going to ring your bell. Spinning back fist will put you to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. A regular back fist will stun you a little bit. I've never seen, I've yet to see someone knocked out with a regular back fist. But I've yeah. seen plenty of people knocked out cold in the spinning. But whatever. I wonder if you could get around that rule by instead of a back fist, throwing a hammer fist. Yeah, okay, yeah, no, no, lead hammer. They uh yeah, no, no hammer fist either. Okay. No hammer in, in, in Japan, they will not allow a hammer fist in kickboxing in their in their open glove karate okay. kickboxing. They will not allow it's pretty much K1 kickboxing rules do not allow a hammer fist, they don't allow a back fist sometimes. They do. It depends on the contracts. So any YouTube nerd watching this right now, getting ready to tear me up in the comments. I never said that's a golden rule. I just said sometimes my biggest disclaimer, if you're fighting, always read the rule set of the venue you're going to fight in. Know the rules because there's the rules and then there's the rules. So you never know. Sometimes you can get really close to breaking those rules. And the better you are at doing that may be the difference between you winning mm. and losing a, a fight. In and, the ring, some, so. and sometimes at a tournament, the quote rules of the tournament aren't quite as important as what your ring referees, their own set of rules. Because <laughs> yeah. sometimes your re ring referees got their own rules and you got to kind of learn what they are too. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to play the game. You got to learn not only the rules, but what your referees looking for? Yeah, there's a there's a there's a quick learning curve there. There's a yeah. very <laughs> very steep learning curve. <laughs> so you started fighting. You're doing continuous at tournaments out in the U.S. and um, and you were teaching, and you said you were always teaching kind of small scale and competing. Yes. And um, my question to you: Did you? What are your opinions on people who have never competed? 
the the people who that only have done kind of they stick to the more traditional path of martial arts training for some martial arts and i'm being very specific on my wording here to not call out any specific styles but i am going to say that there is some martial arts that martial arts styles methods that involve a lot of drilling a lot of not even sparring i I won't even put sparring in there i'll just say a lot of drilling a lot of kata a lot of competing in kata but never really competing and fighting i I think you mean my opinion as far as should they compete or is that what you're asking? I'm asking what are your thoughts on it? Well, not so much not, not not should they compete so much, but they, if they you're have, an they're not they're not really they're not um these are people who who have have done their thing but they've just never fought. Okay. <laughs> I think uh, I don't think that you have to look at what your goals are. And look at what your intent is. And I think it can be a really good thing to compete because I think it can help you get over the initial gun shy of being hit by a stranger. And, you know, you get those jitters out and you get some self-confidence. And plus, training to compete just requires such discipline and athleticism that those are all great byproducts. But on the other hand, I don't think competing is a prerequisite to being a good martial artist. I think you can be an amazing martial artist and a a very dangerous martial artist and never have been in a a competition. Um, Now, I know there's some people that use the all they do is kata and they never try to analyze the kata. They never drill the moves in the kata. They never do high impact, high stress, physical drilling at all. And they're kind of blinded by, well, we do the traditional way and they kind of are falling into the trap of, if I'm ever attacked, I'll do X, Y, Z. I think that's a dangerous trap to be in, but but if you're if your classroom, if you're dojo rather, you are doing high pressure testing with your techniques and your technique concepts. And you and your classmates and your your instructor are really putting you through the paces physically, and you're doing everything you can do to replicate street violence. And the concepts you're working on are are functional and are applicable. I think, I think uh, just because you don't go down to the local high school to compete in the, you know, world championships of Cucamonga is gonna make any difference on whether or not you're a, uh, you know, good martial artist or not. I think you can still be, actually some, many, many, if not most of the martial artists that I know that I would consider Definitely people not to aggravate in a parking lot. Don't compete. Now, that doesn't mean their classroom is not, you know, you watch them in class, you're like, good Lord, I don't want no parts of this. <laughs> but, but they don't compete per se. So I don't think competing is a prerequisite to being a good martial artist. Um, but 
there's definitely no harm in it. And the byproducts of competing and training to compete are, are a lot. And I guess you this know, brings me on the other hand me. of that though, the, on the, on the flip side of that, if you're competing and you're say a point competitor and you're only a point competitor and you don't do those ugly top of the violence spectrum pressure tested drills and you only compete for point tournaments i'm not saying again uh you know people i have a lot of friends that are point fighters a lot of friends that are elite point fighters and you know i don't want to anger them and have them read into anything that i'm saying but it if you only train point fighting i don't care if you win first place at every tournament you ever go to that does not automatically carry over into self-defense prowess in the parking lot. Well, I'll take that a step further and I'll say if you only train stand-up, if you only train stand-up, that is not going to prepare you for someone, a good wrestler who's going to wrestle you to the ground. Like, it's just, it's, that's just the reality of the situation. And I, I, I people get offended, they get offended. I found out- oh, You're going to get I, hate, I, man. <laughs> I, I, I found that out the hard way in personal experience because I am one of those guys that was staunch about stand-up only. And I was, I, it was shocking to me. I was, I'm glad it happened when I was young, but I was shocked the first time someone tackled me to the ground and started doing a ground and pound. And I did, in my art, I had- ground and pound defense and stuff but i was never really attacked uh, we were in a sparring situation but i was never really i was never really what's the word i'm looking for i was never really prepared for someone a good grappler who was going to shoot in on me i was always practicing if the guy grabs me like this the guy grabs me like that but i was never prepared for someone who's really good at wrestling who can literally skim off the ground like six, six inches above the ground while shooting in for a six, double leg so low mm. that my punches and kicks can't get them in time. And they're so quick at judging the distance. And then they had me on the ground and all I can do is kind of nick them while they were doing ground and pound. I had to, I had to fight like hell on my out of it. And they knew, and they knew some jujitsu and they caught me in my first uh, triangle. They caught me in my first triangle choke. So like, yeah, shocking. Who knew? Right. I, and then that's, that, that goes with anything, not just point sparring. So if anybody's offended about what you just said about the point sparring, I'll take it a step further and say, if you're, if you're one dimensional and you feel that one dimension is your only way, if it's worked out for you this far, great. Um, you're lucky, but if not like, yeah, it, it's definitely, it, it yeah. goes back to the training we talked about with the kickboxing. Like if you prepare for leg kicks and you don't prepare for leg kicks, it's the same thing. It's not to, it's not to disc, it's not to discredit those people that, kickbox and muay thai and don't do late and do leg kicks and the ones that don't it's just to say that when you prepare for a certain something if you only prepare for that one thing you're missing mm. out on what else might be thrown at you that's all, that's all. And some of that with the individual individual fighters or, or or organizations or schools or whatever the case may be some of that is intent you know there's i know people that are point fighters that's what they want to do and it's no different than a guy being like okay i want to play in my church league softball team you know that's what they want to do okay and and i and i don't i don't talk down to them i don't judge them if that's what they choose to spend their time to doing that's better than staying home playing video games um or same with the jujitsu people they may practice jujitsu because they love it and they want to do jujitsu only tournaments awesome 
But the way that I look at martial arts, and I know a lot of people look at it different. So everything that I'm saying, everything that I'm saying is just from me. It's my opinion. I don't speak for an organization at this point. I'm not speaking for a style at this point. I'm only speaking for me. But there's many, many reasons people train. And, and I see them and it's like, you know, well, self-confidence and I want to build up my self-esteem and I need to get in shape. I need to lose 10 pounds. I need a yada, yada, yada. Get in shape. Hey, right now, two, we're January, New Year's. Oh, yeah. How many, how many emails did you get? I want to get? I'm ready to start. I'm ready to start, Tom. Want to get in shape? Want to lose some weight? <laughs> so, you know, and it's people. I only teach people that I know or that come to me through people that I know. And I've ended up turning down several people just because it didn't seem to be the right fit. Um, but if I ask somebody, what do you want to train for? Well, I need to get myself centered. I need it. And I try to tell them, you know, for me, again, it's not a spiritual thing. It's not a get in shape thing. If you want to get in shape, join the gym, talk to a personal trainer. If you want to get flexible, do yoga. If you want to get yourself centered, there's so many other ways. <laughs> the way to me, karate, kempo, et cetera, et cetera, that's about self-defense. And that's it. Now, there's other byproducts. But the thing is, it's about self-defense. It's about surviving a violent encounter in this day and age out in the street or out in the parking lot or sitting in the passenger seat of your car. That's what it's about. The other stuff, yeah, that happens and it's a great byproduct, but it's not why I train. I, and everything that I do with a student from day one is geared towards combat effectiveness. When we're doing kata, we don't do kata just because we do kata. We do kata and we, we look for the movements, we look for the concepts and we look for the combat effectiveness and then we drill them. When we're doing our boxing, we look for the combat effectiveness and we drill it. When I'm doing point fighting training, I don't just do point fighting training to prepare people for point fights. I do point fighting training and it always accompanies, how would we make this point fight traditional American 1980s classic point fight stuff, how do we make it street applicable today? Because everything, in my opinion, has to have street applicability to be martial art. So with the point fight thing, typical point fight technique, you know, blitz off the line, back fist, reverse punch underneath. Everybody does it. I don't care if you're Taekwondo, Kung Fu, American Karate, what everybody does it. It's a point fighting technique. So it's easy to take something like that and say, okay, we're in the parking lot. The guy's several feet away from you. You need to close the distance. Point fighters are the best at closing the distance fast. Is a flicking back fist to the head, which would get you a point every time. And then a quick reverse punch underneath to wherever you happen to hit. Cause I'm not worried about target placement at that point. I'm worried about making contact. Cause I want to point. Is that the best if I want to adapt that training to self-defense? Because again, everything we do, we train for combat effectiveness. So probably not, but you can use the same muscle memory, the same concepts and take that quick 
flicking back knuckle and change it to a, a hard hammer fist to the jaw. And it's almost the same muscle memory. You can take that hard back fist and replace it with a shoe toe hand, the knife edge of the hand to the neck. So if I can do this quick and get you every time with a back fist, I can do this and get you to more vital areas on the neck. And it's almost the same motion, same muscle memory, but the difference is the intent behind it. The intent at that point is not to get a point. The intent is to stop or incapacitate the attacker. In the same way, instead of just a reverse punch, that could be a one knuckle punch to the xiphoid process, to the solar plexus, to more vital areas under the ribs or the floating rib. You know, so you can take point fight training and you can make it street applicable. And that's what we try to do with everything. I don't, we don't need martial arts because we need something with aesthetic value. We don't need martial arts necessarily so we can preserve the history of our forefathers. Martial arts are about, I win, they lose every time, period. So everything we do, be it kata, point training, more traditional, high speed, high pressure, violent drills, they all need to be different ways to reach the same point of, of self-defense proficiency. You know, and that, that, again, I'm not speaking for an organization. I'm speaking for me. There's people who do kata beautifully, beautifully. To me, doing a kata beautifully means you understand the combat effectiveness. To me, doing a technique beautifully means I see beauty in the, I know it sounds horrible. I see beauty in the effective brutality of the technique and not the aesthetic value of the technique. And again, like you were saying, you're speaking for yourself. And like you were, like this kind of goes back to what you said earlier. Well, everybody comes in for different reasons, right? And um, everyone has, when you get into martial arts, one thing that a lot of people don't understand is there's, a, there's just so many options available to you depending on what you're about to get into, why you're getting into it. You may, Many people don't even know why when they step in. And they don't even know what their options are. Um, but there's just so many avenues, especially now. And you got, you know, you got point sparring, you got continuous at tournaments, you got kata, you got weapons, you got self-defense, you got combatives, you got uh now you have MMA. So that, that's that's a new avenue. You got they got the grappling, you got Brazilian jiu-jitsu, gi, then you got no gi worlds. I mean, uh, the possibilities are endless and and not everyone is going to want to do it, like you said, at a, a competitive level. I like what um, one of the guests I had on here, Ramsey Dewey, he had a really good take on point sparring. And he's a, he's a retired MMA fighter like me. Um, and he did it professionally. I didn't even do it professionally. He said that point sparring prepares you for the adrenaline rush that you get, not just in competition, because like the, you get that adrenaline dump in competition you also get that adrenaline dump when you're attacked. Or you also get that adrenaline dump if for some reason you end up in a rough neighborhood the way I lived in a rough neighborhood. When you start fighting, when I got when I started getting into fights, people on the street would circle around you and start cheering on people. That was uh, That's just how it was. So like, point sparring may not be 
full contact. Point sparring, we can we can go on a whole other podcast about why point sparring may be considered the worst type of competitor, com- competition compared to other types of competition. But one thing you can't take away from it is the idea that it puts you through that that high pressure intensity scenario where there's a bunch of people in a room, you're in the middle of it, people are cheering, people are screaming, coaches are yelling, and you're focusing past all that and trying to accomplish and defend yourself. So like, and that's not forever. And cause fighting is not for everybody. And mm-hmm. we've I've said that before, fighting is not for everybody, but that's why you're here. Cause you want to be ready for it. So like, that's definitely, you know, that, that, again, it's not to criticize. I, I'm not a believer of one is better than the other, but I also have to take into consideration what, where people want when they start doing this. Cause a lot of mm-hmm. people don't even know what it is. Half, I'd say half more for me, even worse. At least you have like a, you have like kind of a little bit of a style where people can kind of recognize what you're talking about. When I say Kaju Kimbo, they have no idea what I'm talking about when they walk into my door. So they have really no clue. So it's, it, it, for me, it's like, I'd say a hundred percent of the people that come into my school don't know what they're getting into. And then now how is Kaju Kimbo being received, being received because I know, uh, Japan, obviously, you're going to have access to Weishiru and Wateru and Kyokushin Kai is probably big over. There. You have access to all this stuff that is obviously more more Japanese or, or Okinawan or so. How? And I don't know if you follow the roots of Kajukembo back far enough. You know, I know the story of Chao Matosi then maybe Matobu, you know, or maybe, um, again, I don't want to upset anybody. I don't yeah, want to hate me. Ka- karate nerds, just Google it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Google it. But, um, if you want I, to know there is, there is a link. There's, there's a link if you follow back far enough, but it's not Japanese per se. Oh, and no. you're in Japan. So how are you being received teaching, teaching Kajikimbo in the land of karate? Not, I, I learned, for me in Japan, I learned to just call it MMA because when I, especially for me and my background, uh, Japanese people are all about organization, lineages, and licenses. Licenses for everything. They have a license for everything out here. Yeah, a license, license to teach English, a license to be a life coach. I don't know what the hell, a license to be a social media influencer. They literally have a license for everything. So the first question I got asked when I walked in, I said, hey, I teach Kaiser Kemba. Like, where's your license? Like, oh, I have my certificate there. But where's your license? Where's, where's the license from the city? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, so, and that was like one of the first challenges I came across. The second challenge I came across was I thought for the longest that I did Kaju Kembo. We called it Kaju Kembo Karate to make it easier for Americans to understand what it was, even though it really wasn't karate either. Um, mm-hmm. We just, my instructor was like, it's easier for them. Dude, let's not go into the whole Kaju Kembo thing and the acronym of boxing and judo jiu-jitsu because it's just too much for people. But let's just call it mm-hmm. Kaju Kembo Karate and we'll call it a day. And then the people that stick around will show them what the rest of the, it, what it really is. But um, for marketing, that's what my instructor did. But everybody does it, does it differently even in America. For me in Japan, I tried the same thing, Kajukembo Karate. But I found out first day I was I didn't even I wasn't even living out here yet. I was visiting, and they're like, "Hey, you do Kempo, right?" And I'm like, "Kind of, yeah." Do you like Hawaiian Kempo? Yeah. They're like, 
why don't you visit my cousin? Uh, he does Shaolin, Shaolin, which would translate to Shaolin Kempo. And uh, he, the, the master wants to meet you. I'm like, all right, I guess I'll go in and see what they're doing. And, uh, and they started their lesson and whatever. And they, they, they introduced me as a guest. And they started, they did the thing. And they're like, hey, can you do a kata? Can you do a kata for us from your Hawaiian Kempo stuff? I'm like, yeah, sure. And I did one of my styles, one of my, one of my, I did my performance set, which is not really my thing. I'm not really a kata guy, but again, <laughs> glad I learned it um, because, because they asked me to put, I got put on the spot. So, okay, cool. And they did it. And then the first thing the guy says, he's like, that's interesting. That's not what we do. That's not Kempo. And I'm like, all right. It's not Japanese Kempo. I, I never said it was, you know. And then he like said, you know, Angelo, Angelo does this the Hawaiian Kempo thing called Kaji Kempo. It's different from what we do, but we liked it. It was interesting. And we're going to invite him to stay with us to train with our black belts. And I got to stay with their black belt session. And um, I asked him, so when are we going to do it? When are we going to do our sparring? I'm like, oh, we don't spar. I'm like, okay. Sounds good. Right, if y'all don't spar, y'all don't spar. Let's do, let's do what you do. And mostly it was just a lot of drills and network, a lot of mm -hmm. kicking. And then I was like, all right, so it's not, so Kaji Kempo isn't as closely related to the Japanese Kempo as I thought it was. Okay, cool. Fast forward. And now I'm doing, uh, I meet a, I meet a Kukushin Karate guy. And I'm not going to mention, I'm just going to say he was not Japanese. Cause if he watches this, he's, he's a friend of mine and I don't want to offend him. But, um, he wanted to spar. He, I met him at a gym. He's like, hey, I, I'm getting ready for, I really want to spar. Can I join you? And at this point, I joined an MMA gym. Because when I came out here, I'm like, uh, it looks like a, if the Kempo guys don't accept it, I don't think jumping into a karate school out here is going to go well. Um, so I'm just going to go somewhere where I know I'll be accepted. And I've already done MMA. So I'm just going to go to an MMA gym and and just mix it up with those guys. And that's what I was doing. I was mixing it up with so those guys. And I was teaching Kaja Kempo to some of their students because they saw me warming up doing my my sets and then they're like oh you do something and those guys were they had no value no no value they had no judgmental statements to say like they didn't say that wasn't karate that was karate that was since they're right. mma guys they didn't care they were just like can i use it in the cage yes okay show me and that was it so mm -hmm. i mean immediately those people hired me as their kickboxing coach so i was i was i was the kickboxing coach for uh kfn kobe fighting network shameless plug um and when i was doing that the kyukushin karate guy came in he's, he's like let's spar i'm like okay let's spar and i didn't know what the kyukushin karate rules were and he's like we normally don't wear gloves we normally do bare knuckle and i was like all right if you want to do bare knuckle i'm gonna wear my gloves because i always wear gloves when i spar but that's cool you do what are the rules well, we don't punch to the face we hit to the body i'm like okay well so we start up and i did one round with him where he got to do uh only to the body and um it was it was intense training because he's not wearing any gear right so the leg kicks are all real and stuff and mm -hmm. um it was an intense round i was able to keep up because i do i had an idea what the rules were but then when we moved into regular sparring i'm like all right i did your rules let's switch um let's do mma and he's like oh i hate grappling i mean i'm not into that i'm not gonna use the slur he used but either way <laughs> he's not he wasn't into grappling all right let's do kickboxing then and we did kickboxing and he got really flustered being jabbed in the face. That really mm. made him mad. He was actually getting angry at getting not, I mean, we were doing light contact, but it's just they never hit to the face. So then I realized, mm. like, all right, so definitely Kukushin Karate guys. 
I can cross train with this guy. Luckily, he's not Japanese, so he's not holding any of this against me. But I don't think I'll fit in with the Kyukushin Karate guys either. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, that's cool. And then as time went by, I got a Japanese kickboxing coach. And then that guy flat out said, what you're doing isn't karate. That's not real karate. This is real karate. And he was like, really like staunch on that. And he kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but that's cool. Um, I hired him as a kickboxing coach anyway. So I, I took what I could from what he taught for the kickboxing stuff to win my first fight, which I did. And, um, but one of the biggest things that we had in there was like, I asked him, can you do a sidekick in kickboxing? In Japanese kickboxing, you're open glove karate. Are you allowed to do a sidekick? Yes, you're allowed to do it. Okay. So I'd practice it. He's like, I don't want you practicing that technique in my gym. And I'm like, why? (laughs) It's my best technique. It's won me several tournaments in America. This This is my technique. Back fist sidekick has won me several tournaments in continuous and in regular and in MMA. So like, why can't I do it? It's like, cause I don't like it. <laughs> that seems a little closed minded. So like, can I use it in sparring? He said, yeah. But the other students, when they see you hitting the bag, they want to do it too. I don't teach that stuff here. I'm like, all right, that's fine. Then out of respect for you, I won't, I won't, I won't do it. I won't, I won't do it in your gym. I won't practice it in front of your students. And mm. then during sparring, though, I started nailing all his black belts, former retired champions, K1 fighters, current K1 fighters that were in his gym. Started nailing that sidekick, knocking him out with it. Um, TKOs to the body and just going to the ground, can't breathe. And he was getting flustered and angry. But uh, so, yeah, long story short, that was the reception I got. Oh, and then at one point when I started opening my gym and getting students, my students wanted to compete and I had some kids and I was like, ah, they have full contact fighting for kids out here. They don't do light contact. And I'm like, I don't, mm. I don't want to put my kids. They were my, my personal, my, I have one baby girl, but I didn't feel comfortable putting kids in a full contact fight. Just mm. didn't feel comfortable doing it. Um, I asked the parents, this is what's out here. Do you want that? They're like, is that what you require? I'm like, no, I don't. I never required this in the US. I would never require anybody to fight full contact. That's up to you if you want to do that. So I tried to look for something similar to the US with a uh, point sparring and like light contact and like the whole, you know, we have the open tournaments, any style of any type of karate or taekwondo mm-hmm. or whatever can enter. I looked for something like that and I found it. And a friend of mine that I, that I coached, I actually coached him. He's a kickboxer and he was one of the, my students, quote unquote students. And he's a part of the Japanese karate association. I asked him, Hey, I have my class and the kid, they want to compete and they want to compete in your organization. How do I go about doing that? And he told me, well, what you do is in karate. I'm like, okay, but do you have like an open tournament? Uh, we kind of only allow people in our association to, uh, participate in the tournaments this is this is the same association that you have to be in to compete in the kata division for the olympics now you know how they they added karate to the olympics so it's like world karate federation rules yeah, uh, i guess i guess but in japan to compete in the olympics because they have olympics right now they have the olympics kata did you hear about this mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. to compete in that you have to be a part of this association to compete in the point sparring, you have to be a part of the Taekwondo Association for the Olympics. 
Mm. So that's just how they do things out here. Um, so I was like, all right, that's cool. But you have point sparring, right? Yeah. So I can, I don't have to join two associations for this one. No. So, so what do I, what would I have to do? Not at this point, I'm kind of over it. Right. Cause in America, I would just have to pay a membership, not even a membership fee. Right. I, we pay our tournament dues and that's it. But yeah. Show up, pay 50 bucks and fight. Yeah. And they're like, well, first of all, you have to join our association for like a thousand dollars a year. Uh, second of all, you have to get your license under association, which is like another $500. And third of all, um, you have to start teaching our kata to your students. So all your students need to learn our kata. You, you, can, you can keep teaching whatever kata you're teaching from your fake karate, but you have to learn our kata and they can only compete with that kata. And I'm like, fuck this. I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> and I didn't tell them that. <laughs> I just said, Japanese style, thank you very much for explaining to me everything. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I'll let you know. And I was like, forget it, <laughs> forget it. Yeah. So to answer your question, um, they respect me because I dojo stormed them and I defeated them in their in their dojos. And I my gym is still open every so once in a while. I'll have a guy walk in here from some place that dojo challenges me, and, and and I beat him to the ground. And and then they 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 say thank you, and and we respect each other. And that's how I've gained all my respect in Japan was through my fists. Um, but as far as like welcomed i don't know i've heard some people were welcomed i have been i'm respected am i well i'm man even in like right now i'm doing bjj and i'm not going to mention any names of the association but the association that i'm doing bjj with right now is a world known association with schools that started in brazil that are being taught all around the world that's all that's as far as i'm going to go with this but um that guy, my instructor now, he has a little more respect for me than all the other Japanese coaches I've had. Like, he understands, because BJJ guys understand about MMA, like, they get it. So he understands that I come from MMA, but he's still very confused as to what Kajukembo is. And he's kind of getting an idea of what it is. He knows that, he knows that we're, we're, I, I taught him, I had to teach him that we're associated to um, Hawaiian Kempo, which was started by, uh, by John Hackleman. And I talked about how Chuck Liddell, he kind of knows who Chuck Liddell is. He knows mm. what the UFC is. And whenever I came in there, whenever I go anywhere, I come in with, I, don't, I never wear my black belt. I, I always come in with a white belt. I tell him I had some past martial arts experiences to start. And this is the one Japanese guy that actually says Kaju Campbell. Most of the other guys would literally say fake karate. But he was like, <laughs> he was one of the first few guys that um, when I hear people, when I'm sparring and I got some guy at an armbar or I'm tackling someone or they're wondering who I am, why is this blue belt? <laughs> why is this? I'm a blue belt now. I was a white belt back then. But they're wondering, why is this white belt? He was only here for a week or two and he got given three stripes to start sparring right away. Why? That was the first question. He's like, well, he's competed in MMA and he needs to get ready for his next fight. And then they're wondering, why is this white belt uh, handling himself against our black belts? What's going on? He does this thing called Kajukembo. Is it jujitsu? No, it's not jujitsu. <laughs> and that's why I, I hear this conversation. I'm a blue belt now. I'm a, I'm a, I think a, 
like a one stripe or something. I'm a blue belt now in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And I still hear this conversation going on when I'm sparring with guys. Like I still hear my instructor, who is this guy? He does this thing called Kaju Kembo. What's that? And then, and then, so yeah, that's funny. Because that's how it's going. In, you know, like 80 years ago, in the 1920s, karate wasn't very well received in Japan. When it came up from Okinawa to Japan, it ran into the same issues that you're running into now. Oh, it's uh, some kind of crazy backwater Okinawan thing, and it's got Chinese roots, and it's not judo. It's not aikijutsu. It's not. It's not kendo. It's it's not strict regimented militaristic Japanese like what we want. This is, uh, you know, it's something. It's something different. It's a little bit more rugged whatever so and then they they tweaked it and made it Japanese which I think did it a disservice but um and then it was respected and now it's a quote Japanese art 80 years ago 100 years ago it wasn't and it wasn't received very well either you know because people that practice karate were looked at in Japan because they came from Okinawa they were looked at as ruffians or roughnecks or, you know, why are they practicing these brutal bone-breaking Chinese art until the Japanese finished modifying it to suit their purposes and made it, now it's a Japanese thing. Historically, it never was. So, and I run in the same situation as <laughs> you do. People, people ask me, well, your karate is different from ours. Yes, it is. My karate is different from yours. You know, well, we don't do that. Yes, I know you don't do that, you know, <laughs> and you don't want to fight me in the parking lot either, you know, but though, but then the Kempo is the same, same way because some of the Kempo, I'm not Kaju Kempo. I'm not Hawaiian Kempo, even though it, it's, it's strange because my training methods, my my methodology and intent in training is actually more, more akin to what I see the Kaju Kimbo people doing and what I see the Hawaiian lineage Kimbo people doing than my own, uh, who are clo more closely related stylistically because we do have differences because I do teach the boxing. And some of the people, it's amazing how many karate people are like, well, why you you don't punch we don't punch that way in karate so okay you know i'm throwing jabs and uppercuts and hooks and you know because it's good because it's practical it's useful and if it's good practical useful i'm going to do it and therefore i'm going to teach it um so you know i've run into some of the same same thing well you're not doing this you're doing that and then those people well you're not doing what we're doing either you're doing what they're doing okay no i'm doing what i'm doing <laughs> And, you know, yeah. so, I, you know, I've run into the same thing. Well, you don't fit into our box. No, I, I guess not. And no matter what, like, and if you're going to step outside the box, no matter what you're doing, you're always going to have haters. That, that's, that's what I've learned. Like, you're always going to have people that hate you for what you're doing. But if anything, and this is why I did this whole martial arts series. This is why I keep this in the Kaju Kimbo series. And one of the things that I would really hope the people that do Kaju Kembo that listen to the podcast would kind of catch on to 
is if we decide to focus on the differences and call them wrong, that in itself is more divisive. You'll be able, that's divisive. And if you want to be divisive in a world where people tend to want to be like that more and more, especially in 2021, um, mm. you can be, yeah, then that's going to be your thing. Then you'll always be, you'll consistently be angry at somebody because nobody does anything the same. And mm -hmm. this can be applied to martial arts and anything else for that matter. Or if you focus on the similarities, we're all martial artists. And if you look at the percentage of the population of the world, very few of them practice martial arts. We are a minority within a minority. So like, mm -hmm. I'd rather focus more on the, on the similarities. Whenever I'm looking at something, I can sit there all day and be like, I don't roundhouse kick like that. I don't, I don't know. I don't throw my jab like that. I don't throw my back fist like that. I can sit there and do that all day. But what I like to do more is, oh, hey, I do that. I throw my front kick like that. Or, hey, I have, mm -hmm. I, I have, a, I have an escape from a choke like that. Or, oh, hey, that takedown. I, I, I know that takedown. I use that takedown. I'd rather focus on those things, on those things that connect us as martial artists than the things yes. that separate us. Because I think it's really Definitely. cool. One really positive thing that I can say about being a martial artist, even though that, that story sounded really negative about what happened in Japan, I did get their respect. And to this day, I still walk into those places and they walk into my gym because I respected them. I never called them names. I, I got, I'm so glad I learned how to handle the maturity aspect you talked about that you look for in your black belts. I'm so glad my instructor taught me that too. And I'm glad that that respect, if you come into a place with mutual respect and an open mind and you empty your cup, you can go somewhere where you don't speak the language and and you can make friends because i did mm -hmm. i've made friends in japan and i've made friends in china even and i don't speak any chinese all, all mm -hmm. i i can i can i came in there with my hands <laughs> i can punch i can kick i can grapple i respect you let's do this i'm a martial artist you're a martial artist and you know, that's where it should be i think ultimately regardless of what you know there's only so many ways to do something you know if, if I put somebody into a joint lock, it, it's, it's Kimbo. If you put somebody in the same joint lock, it's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or Kaju Kimbo. It's the same joint lock. If I punch somebody in the face and you punch somebody in the face and me and you are both using proper body mechanics, proper technique, it's the same. Whatever you choose to call it or I choose to call it or the next guy chooses to call it, there's only so many ways to punch and kick and break bones and twist joints. And I don't think we've discovered anything new. I think you touched on it maybe earlier. I really firmly believe 2000 years ago, the Pancration fighters in Greece were doing stuff that we would see and we would recognize, hey, I know that joint lock. Well, hey, I throw that same punch. And you know what? They weren't karate. They weren't Kimpo. They weren't Kajakimbo. They were fighting. And ultimately, they had the same goals we did. I want to get into this violent conversation or violent, violent conversation. I want to get in this violent situation and I want to be the winner. Now, whether that is I want to be the winner for a medal or a trophy or I want to be the winner because I don't want to die and the person that loses dies. You spend a lot of the same goals. So whatever label 
Like I said, I, I have no connection to the Hawaiian lineage, but everything that I, and even Ed Parker lineage, I'll watch some of Ed Parker's people do techniques and be like, well, that's not exactly the way I do it, but I do that. And which shows it at some point, it came from either a common source or if not a common source, it came from a, a similar intent to defend against an attack because I want to win and that person needs to lose. So, you know, I think we are the same in the respect that our goals are the same. You know, my goals are to come home safe every night and see that my family does the same. And I'm sure that's your goals. That's my goals for training is I wanna make sure that regardless of the physical situation I'm in, I come out the victor and my family is, is safe. And whatever label needs to be put on that, you know, like I said early on in our, in our talk, sometimes I refer to it as Kimbo, sometimes I refer to it as Karate Jutsu. Both are accurate. But it really, at the end of the day, that doesn't matter because I've never been in a physical confrontation where I've had to give my lineage or pedigree to anybody. They're going to know soon enough that I was the wrong one. Yeah, your lineage is not going to protect you in a dark alley. <laughs> and your lineage is not going to protect you in the cage either. So no. I, think, um, I think that's a really great way to wrap up the show. But before we wrap it up, um, where can people find you? Um, I guess, where can people find you online? Well, I don't have, at this point, um, I don't have a, a web page. At this point, the only way that, uh, hopefully that'll change in the future, but right now, the only thing I have is a Facebook page. That's great. It's now, a lot of my guys, that's all they have. What's your Facebook page? Just Tom Bowers. Okay, and if you don't mind... You don't mind people going, <laughs> sorry, no, no, no. I should have stopped you. I, I, give a, I give another disclaimer, another warning. Now there are, I had two Facebook pages in the past. Okay. One is Thomas Bowers and, you know, I had to get a different phone, lost my password, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so I don't have access to that. Right. But the one I'm on now is Tom Bowers, just T-O-M Bowers. Right. Now. It is, it's my martial arts. I put techniques on there. I put kata video, different things, but it's not a martial arts only Facebook page. It's so a personal Facebook page. Okay. Right. In addition to that, I'll put pictures of my grandson and my wife and vacation and, yeah. but it's cool. I mean, I, I love to correspond with martial artists. All right. You know? As long as, as long as you don't mind the internet contacting you at your personal Facebook page. That's oh, all. I wanna, no. That's all I want to make sure. I would say 90 95% of the people that I'm Facebook quote friends with, I wouldn't know them if they walked up to me on the street. They're just, <laughs> they're just acquaintances in the martial arts community. And that's what I typically use it for. And that's, uh, that's cool because I love corresponding with other martial artists and comparing notes and exchanging ideas. And, you know, that's in 2021, that's one of the best platforms to do that. So, for anyone listening, that's Tom Bowers, T-O-M-B-O-W-E-R-S, right? Yes, sir. All right. Yeah, so if you, if you search that on Facebook, he's totally cool to add you to his personal Facebook page. Um, and I, I've, I've, 
I became his friends. Same thing. I think I saw one of your videos on a, on a, some training, some martial arts association I was in shared it or so I forgot how I came across it. Someone, someone I know that I trained with shared it and I saw it and um, I sent you a friend request cause I liked what I saw. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a really fun page. He shares his training and he, sh- he shares what he, what he likes to do. And um, I recommend checking it out. Well, Tom, thank you very much for being on the show. And uh, for my listeners and viewers, stay tuned for the wrap-up. All right. Thank you, sir. And that's a wrap. We're all done here. Make sure to subscribe to Social Jello with Angelo for more podcasts and videos about martial arts, comedy skits, all kinds of stuff. I like, I like, I've been having a lot of fun on my YouTube channel lately. So check it out if you're listening to this from one of the multiple radio stations that host the show. Thank you very much to those people who are doing that for me on the online radio side. I'll catch you all later. Keep training your mind, body, and spirit every day. And remember, there's more that connects us than divides us. I butchered that. There's more that connects us than divides us. I'm not a word magician. I don't know if you figured that out yet. (laughs) All right. Catch you all later. Peace.